my name. Hello and welcome to You Are Not Alone. You Are Not Alone is a one-with-one horror actual play podcast. I'm Blaine, your host and RPG-loving friend. Before we get started, if you like what you hear, please consider rating and reviewing us on your favorite podcatcher. It really helps other people find us, and it would mean the world to me. I'm in the process of trying to clean up some of our earlier episodes now that I know a little bit more about editing, so a few episodes have been pulled from the queue until I can get the audio to where I want it to be. If you go back and listen to the earlier episodes and you missed one of the chapters, don't worry. Each story stands by itself. The chapter titles are just something I experimented with in the early days of the podcast. If you'd like to reach out, recommend a game, be a guest, or just say hi, you can email me at youarenotalonepod at gmail.com or reach out on Twitter at notalone underscore horror. I would love to hear from you. This episode, we're starting a session of the game Quietus. Quietus is a game of melancholy horror by Ollie Jeffrey. It is a game for a GM and one or two players that focuses on the quiet moments of sadness in the midst of something truly horrifying. In the introduction, I go over a bit about how to play the game. So for right now, I'll just say that it is a really beautiful game that seeks to tell stories in the vein of I am the pretty thing that lives in the house, the Babadook, and the haunting of Hill House. It focuses on characters whose scars deeply influence their day-to-day lives and what their internal and quiet sadness looks like in contrast to the external horror that is threatening to kill them. So with all that said, let's jump in. I am really excited to play this game, and joining me this week to play it is Jesse Stancheck. Hey, Jesse, how's it going? Hey there. Good to see you. Good, good to, uh, good to be in a virtual space with you as well. Oh no, I'm right outside. Oh, oh, look out the window. <gasps> it's me. Oh, well, uh, hello there. <laughs> there is at least six feet of distance, so if anyone's worried about that, no, we're good. We're we're being safe yet slightly horrifying. Uh, so how are you doing this uh, right before Christmas? I'm I'm doing splendid. I've got the week off of work, and I could not be more relaxed. That is that is fantastic. I'm very jealous. I'm planning on taking the first week of January off because December is always somewhat of a nightmare for me. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's great. I'm glad that you got to take the week off uh, and got to come and join me to play uh, play a sad Christmas horror game. <laughs> so before we jump into things, uh, I just want to ask you if you want to tell people who you are, uh, what you do, and where on the interwebs they can find you. Yeah, sure. So my name is Jesse Stanchak, and I write microfiction on Twitter using uh, the Twitter account at microflashfic. I've been writing three stories a day, every day, for a little over four years now, getting close to four and a half, something like 4,800 of them. At this point, I don't skip days. I do it when I'm sick. I do it when I'm uh, on vacation. I do it when I'm having a bad day. It doesn't matter. And some of them are scary. Some of them are funny. Some of them are sad. The point is just to sort of explore whatever's you know going on in my brain at the moment. And I recently put out a uh, collection of the ones that people liked uh, called The Tyranny of Sand and Other Tiny Stories. And it's been a really beautiful uh creative outlet for me in a part of the internet that generally isn't known for being beautiful or creative. That is very true. I uh I had not seen your work before uh before you reached out, but I I am in love with the idea and the the stories that you post are it runs the gamut, but they're all wonderful. It it's it's interesting to 
create a body of work that has that many tones because uh, I always get a bunch of followers whenever there's like a funny one. And then I'm like, oh, just wait. I'm going to hurt you. <laughs> and, you know, then there will be a story about, you know, a kid in a hot car or uh, ghost trafficking or something else that's just, you know, absolutely upsetting. And, uh, you know, then I get a lot, my DMs are just chaos for a couple of days as people go, wait, what? I, I thought I understood what this was. No, you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were funny. Yeah, yeah, only some of the time. That is, it is interesting. I Like, I, I am a poet and like a, a fairly normal poet. Some of my poems get weird. Mm -hmm. But then I also run this horror podcast that I like, those two worlds haven't really met. But I always wonder, like, what will happen if they ever do meet? Because, like, people coming here expecting, like, oh, Blaine's a poet. He writes, like, poems about nature and ex-girlfriends. And then I'm like, and now here is mm -hmm. a horrifying story about a man whose face is cracking open. <laughs> yeah. Uh, have, have fun with that. Yeah. Every once in a while, people from my day job will discover what I do on the internet. And they're always respectful but like it changes how they see me and there's no getting around that <laughs> yeah yeah all of a sudden everyone in the office is like um let's just give jesse a space <laughs> well they, they they don't want to end up in my fiction and uh they, they are right to fear me it's it's it is the power of the author yeah do not ever cross me <laughs> Awesome. Well, I, I highly recommend folks follow you, and I haven't picked up your book yet, but that is high on my list of books to pick up once. I've, I've made a vow that I'm buying no more new books until I get through at least like 15 of the like 300 that I have sitting around uh, that I haven't read yet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, that's that's a common problem. You have, you have my sympathy. <laughs> but yeah, so people should follow you uh, on Twitter for stories and check out uh, check out the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is all very good. And I'm excited to have you on the show to tell a story with. Yeah. So the game we're playing is Quietus. Uh, I know you said you went over the rules a little bit. Mm -hmm. For our listeners, I'm just going to give a brief brief overview. So Quietus is a game of melancholy horror that focuses on really sad, quiet moments, which I don't know why I'm so excited about a game like that, but I am. But so as a player, uh, you don't have stats like you do in a lot of other role-playing games. Uh, you have three pools, anxiety, despair, and hope. And so as bad things happen, you will primarily gain anxiety. And if you get in too much anxiety, uh, you're panicked and kind of everything you do becomes a desperate action, which is will affect how the dice, the dice treat you. And... Meanwhile, as certain story beats happen that are particularly good or particularly bad, you will gain hope and despair. Uh, you need to have five hope to be able to finally potentially escape from the monster. And if you have five despair, the monster will kill you. So those are kind of the key attributes of your character. You're also going to have a scar, which uh, I'm going to ask that you don't tell me until you decide to reveal it. Because mm -hmm. I feel like that will be more fun for me to suddenly have to work with whatever you introduce to the story. But every now and then you'll be called to roll dice. And you're going to start with one die. And then you ga can gain additional dice by either pushing yourself and gaining anxiety. 
working in one of your uh, one of your scars or trying to get assistance from. In this case, there's not another, but getting assistance from like other people around you can all add dice. You'll roll those dice. You'll figure out which one is the highest, and then on a one to three, it's a failure. On a four and five, it's a success with some kind of complication, and on a six, you get exactly what you want. And uh, depending on whether the situation is uneasy, tense, or desperate, successes pretty much always look the same, but failures get significantly grosser uh, when you're desperate. Mm. So yeah, every now and then we'll bring the dice in to kind of figure out if your character is capable of doing a thing. And that is, that's basically quietus. We're just going to play uh, to find out what happens to this character that you have created. Mm-hmm. So let us, uh, let's talk about your character. Sure. Who are you? So today, today I am Wayne and, uh, how much information about him do you want? Let, give us a, a basic sketch, you know, what sure. Wayne does for a living, what Wayne yeah. does for fun, uh-huh. kind of just the general. So Wayne is currently a security guard. Uh, he's had a lot of jobs over the years though. Have you ever met somebody who has a lot of drama in their life? And it's always somebody else's fault, you know? And they are the only common element in all of these wild stories, and it never occurs to them that they're the common element. That's Wayne. It's always somebody else's fault that that the last job didn't work out. You know, the boss hated me before I even started. And uh, at the moment, he's a security guard. Wayne believes that he is the smartest guy in the room, always, even when that's not true, especially when that's not true. And he loves looking for angles, ways that he can try to get one over on people. Money stolen is twice as sweet as money earned. And uh, his passion in life is gambling. And he's actually pretty good at it most of the time, but not lately. So he's got a sum of money hanging over his head, and he's had to get a little creative lately. Interesting. Mm Mm-hmm. So I guess my first question with all of that, who who is it that Wayne owes this money to? Yeah, sure. So he has what what makes this bad for him is that the guy he owes is actually somebody he likes. He's a uh, a pawnbroker who does a little bit of loan sharking on the side, and they have a really good friendly relationship because remember Wayne has been hawking jewelry and you know, doing sort of slightly shady things for a number of years now. They they, they go way back. But suddenly Wayne finds himself in increasingly more debt to this guy. And he's begun to realize that his friend, uh, his friend, uh, we'll call him Pete. Pete has a little bit of a dark side that had never come out before. And, you know, he really thought that like he could let this thing ride forever. And that's probably not going to be the case. And he's not, he doesn't want to know what uh, what happens when he reaches the end of Pete's patience? But we're getting close to it, you know. If that's if that's a bullet in the head, if that's getting kneecapped, but you know he's running out of excuses and he knows it. Mm, that is that is not a great place to be. Has, what is there anything that Pete has done in you know the past little bit mm-hmm. that Wayne has owed him this money that has been like particularly surprising as far as like a means of trying to recoup his money. Yeah. So the other day that they have never met outside of uh, Pete's establishment. And the other day Pete was on uh, a break from work. Now he works 
the night shift. He's a security guard. And he, uh, you know, takes, uh, uh, he's in a big city and he gets, uh, his, his dinner break at, or his lunch break at like four in the morning. So he's getting like a piece of like street pizza, you know, from a 24 hour pizza place. And Pete just shows up and he did not know that this man knew where he worked, much less when he would be, you know, available. And he was real, you know, he, Pete plays this off like, oh, I was just in the neighborhood, you know? Oh, how's it going? How's the wife? How's the kids? Yeah. How, how about the money you owe me? And he's very polite, but he's very firm. And maybe it was just a trick of the light, but Wayne doesn't think so. There was a little bit of blood on Pete's shirt. Or, I don't know. Maybe it was a stain of something else, but it really looked like blood. Mm. And he said, I'll see you around and clapped him on the back and left. But that's never happened before. They've never met on, you know, anything other than Wayne's terms. So that's how he knows that the the noose is starting to close in. Yeah, that is like just in the neighborhood might work like in the middle of the afternoon, nah. but at four a.m. on your no on your you know mid shift break, yeah, that was intentional. Uh huh. Excellent. I like this. Do I have any other what kind of what kind of gambling does Wayne do primarily? Oh, he uh he likes sports betting, which is, you know, on the one hand, he feels like, you know, this is a this is a thinking man's betting, right? Like you can you can study the stats and you can get inside the players' heads and you can figure out what's gonna happen. It's not like we're wet. That's a chump's game. But Wayne's smart. The problem, of course, is that you know sports betting is is not strictly speaking the most legal thing. You know, you can do it online, sort of, if you hump, jump through some hoops. But if you want to do big money, and Wayne does like to do big money, uh, whether he's got it or not, uh, then people like Peter, who you do it through, and so this isn't the kind of thing where he can, I don't know, go to the cops or, you know, seek some other kind of legal recourse. You can't get a payment plan for this kind of debt. Yeah, that is. Uh, you almost want to feel bad for Wayne, but not if you'd met him. <laughs> Excellent. I think that is also just a, a very brief, like camera pan. What does Wayne look like? So Wayne used to be really good looking, and you know, uh, for a long time that got him out of stuff. He has he has a, a very innocent face, a very like kind of a baby face, but he's put on some weight. Last year or two, uh, haven't we all? And um, he stopped shaving as much as maybe he, he used to. He has kind of patchy facial hair and uh, really, really bright blue eyes. Excellent. So I think I want to start our story on one of Wayne's days off. Okay. Does Wayne keep like a, a working third shift? It's tough, like when mm-hmm. you have that day off. Mm-hmm. Like, do you try to like function like a normal person functions or do you keep up the sleep routine that you need Yeah, to be able to go to work at like 8 PM? So, uh, I've actually been in this position. Uh, I used to be a copy editor and I worked from like 5 PM until question mark. And so I guess actually that's not second, third shift, that's second shift, but I was still, I was working kind of weird hours and Generally speaking, I just tried to keep to the the hours that I you know was going to have to be up anyway. 
But sometimes life doesn't cooperate with that. You know? Yeah. Like maybe you have to get a, go to the doctor. The only time they can see you is at nine in the morning. And that's your whole day. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I did a brief stint working at a like local convenience store and I worked the like mm. 8 p.m. to or I think it was like 9 p.m. to 5 a.m. shift. Mm-hmm. And it went like when other people don't work that shift, like the other problem is like people that you want to see when you're like, oh, it's 8 p.m. Let's go do something. And they're like, it's 8 p.m. Like I'm getting ready for bed. But <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I guess, you know, Wayne went about his day off uh, and now he what is his routine like when he's getting ready to go to bed? Yeah. So uh, he has he has a wife and he has uh, two kids. They're older, though. So they're the kids are at school. The wife uh, is a stay at home mom, but she she runs errands during the day. She has she has her own rich in her in her world and so forth. So uh, they have separate bedrooms and he they, they, they live in an apartment building. And uh, they have separate bedrooms so that he can have basically blackout curtains taped to the wall. Uh, he really needs darkness to sleep. Uh, sound is not so much an issue, but but light really disturbs him. So it's it's there's a long process of going around the room and making sure that it's absolutely totally dark. And he finds that sort of meditative, you know, like there's there's a little ritual to it, chasing out the daylight so that you can pretend that it's time to sleep. Yeah. So I think what wh- about what time do you think this is? Well, he'd he'd probably see the kids off to school and you know want to catch up with his his better half briefly, and then he'd try to time sleep for like when they were all out doing their things, so that he could be as present as you know a guy like that can be when when they're home, and uh, then yeah. So so I guess we're probably looking at like eight a.m. to four p.m. I think that's kind of his his sleep window. Okay. See, we'll say it's about eight thirty or so. Took uh, took your wife a little bit longer than uh-huh. normal to to get out to do the errands. And you didn't want to rush her because it's it's nice these times where you get a like, couple extra minutes. And you're in the room securing the blackout curtains, mm-hmm. and you hear coming from down the hall this dripping sound. That sound of water rhythmically hitting porcelain. Mm. The sound of either maybe the sink in the bathroom or the shower not being fully turned off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just that rhythmic dripping. Yeah. So, um, yeah, my, my, I, I, I'm thinking Wayne's reaction to this is going to be anger. More than anything else, because this is this is absolutely a conversation he's had with his wife Doris and his sons Kyle and Curtis a number of times, and ugh, you know they have no respect for the water bill. So even though he's already gotten everything just the way he wanted it, he's going to go and take the um so- the sound. Before you went into the bedroom. Hmm. And like, I mean, there's, there was enough going on that like, there's, there's no way possible that this happened after. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Doris and Kyle and Curtis left. The one thing Wayne would be sure of is that it's not his fault. Of course not. Yeah. I think in his mind, he's probably just, you know, playing roulette with, you know, who, who am I mad at? You know? 
and he will be absolutely where whatever wherever he lands, he will be absolutely certain. You know, if he thinks it's Curtis, nothing is going to dissuade him later. Yeah, and you you shut off the faucet, mm-hmm. and that rhythmic sound stops, and you catch a look at this patchy beard that you've started to grow out mm-hmm. in the last couple of months. And it reminds you of someone from your past. Who does it remind you of? Uh, it reminds me of my brother who I don't talk to very often because uh, he thinks he's a big shot. And uh, his, his, name is, uh, his name is Earl. And Earl is... You know, if if Wayne is the black sheep of the family, Wayne is the ultra white sheep. You know, he 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 was a real mama's boy. Always did what he was told, and thinks he's so smart. And he was not the one thing that that Wayne absolutely had on him, hands down. Growing up, is that uh, Earl was not a uh, a particularly handsome guy, and uh, Wayne was a really cute baby. He was a, an adorable kid. You know, precocious and pinchable cheeks. And then when he got older, you know, he had a real baby face that women loved. And all, all his whole life, people have just really responded to his looks. And Earl was always sort of, he looked, you could tell that he tried really hard because he always looked a little tired. I know that feeling well. Mm-hmm. See, so yeah, you turn, uh, you turn the faucet off and, are you heading right back to your room, or? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, no time like the present. It is that time, and you get back to the room, and you close the door, and you put the beanbag pod up, and there's this sensation. It's almost like an itch, but like that kind of itch that you get every now and then. That's like below the surface, and you know, like no matter how much you scratch, it's not gonna go away. And it's running down kind of the back of your head. Mm. And it's almost, if you could put a feeling to like undoing the loops of something that was knit, Mm -hmm. it's almost that feeling. And as you're putting this beanbag up in front of the door again, and you're thinking about like, the faucet and looking at yourself in the mirror and your brother who just always thinks that he's so much smarter than you and you can't for the life of you remember his name huh nah no great loss and it's just you're tired you're frustrated about the faucet it'll come back to you I'm sure it's got that feeling of like just on the tip of your tongue mm-hmm. you can rattle down all of these memories you have of ah, what's his name. Hmm. But other than that, everything seems okay. Kids are safely off to school. Doris is off running errands and you are in a house where all of the faucets are closed. Excellent. Yeah, uh, Wayne's going to slide under the covers and curl up and sleep the sleep of the just, even though he hasn't earned it. <laughs> I am going to, this is uh, going to be our first roll. Oh, yeah. 
let's see how Wayne sleeps. You know, there's a lot. Okay, sure. The noose is closing in with Pete. You're frustrated. You have this weird itch that won't go away. So you're going to get one die. Okay. And uh, if you want to try to push yourself, I'm actually going to give you a second die because I think while not a physical entity, all of these blackout curtains and everything are, are assisting you. Okay. So I'm going to give you a die for that. Sure. All right. I'll roll now. Okay. I got a two and a four. All right. Uh, so with a four, you manage to get to sleep. And you sleep the whole uh, night is not quite the right word. The whole afternoon, mm-hmm. morning into afternoon. But you have a series of weird dreams about different moments of your past, all with that brother whose name you can't remember. Mm -hmm. And I guess perhaps, depending on your definition of this, uh, more unsettling than the fact that, like, can't remember his name, and whenever you or anyone else in the dream would say his name, it comes out as like radio static. Mm. But also, whenever you see him in the dream, his face is just like slightly blurred out. Like you still not blurred that you can't make out like the eyes and the nose and the mouth, but just slightly nondescript. Mm. What is your dream flashes through a bunch of different moments, but like, what is the one that stands out the most? The one that like, when you wake up, you remember for at least a couple minutes before like dreams do, it slips out of your head. Yeah. So one, one particularly frustrating moment from his childhood is there was a year, they're, they're, they're only a year apart in school. The brother he can't remember his name is, you know, he's a year older. And when they were in middle school, they faced each other in the finals of the school spelling bee. And they uh, they did the finals in front of the whole school. And the way spelling bee rules work is you um if person A spells a word incorrectly, person B has to be able to spell it correctly in order to win. If not, they pull another word and you keep going until one person can do a word that somebody else can't. And as luck would have it, the brother whose name Wayne can't remember, he goes first. And he would look Wayne in the eye and pause and then say the wrong letter and then stand back. And Wayne would be unable to spell the word correctly. And he did that four times. And then a word came up that Wayne was like, oh yeah, I know that one. And that's the one that uh, his brother beat him on. And he could never get his brother to admit this, but Wayne is a hundred percent certain would bet the lives of his wife and children that his brother did that on purpose, made him sit there four times and spell the word wrong in front of the entire school. And he would have kept doing that as long as he could if, if there hadn't been a word that he knew Wayne couldn't spell come up. Mm. And in the dream, it goes the other way. And he finally gets what he wanted. And then there's a technicality. Like the, the, the judge says, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We were actually asking about a homophone of that word. And uh, you've been disqualified. 
Oh, that is heartbreaking. Yeah. What is, do you know what the word is? Unlike Wayne, I'm a very poor speller. <laughs> Let's say the word that he got called out on is I'm trying to think of a good spelling bee word that would actually have a homophone. Okay, maybe, maybe it's not a homophone. Maybe he misheard them. Okay. And the word was supposed to be autonomous, and he heard anonymous. So he spelled the word correctly, but he misheard it and uh, in the dream, and, uh, and they, they called him out. That makes it even worse. Yeah. Yeah. And he would have known how to spell the other one, too. Yeah. And I can imagine, knowing what I know about Wayne, that, like, you know, most kids, when they're, like, when you're doing this spelling bee, like, you ask for it in a sentence, you ask mm-hmm. for a definition. But Wayne wouldn't do that. Uh, maybe he normally would have, but his brothers iced him out. He's in his head. And he's so, like, oh, yeah, I got you now. You got this word wrong, and I know it. And then, nope, no, you don't. Oh, poor Wayne. So yeah, you wake up around. I think maybe you oversleep a little bit because the dreams keep you from having fully restful mm-hmm. sleep. So it's pushing five o'clock when you wake up. Mm-hmm. Okay, but you got a full night's sleep. Your kind of consequence is that you know you're a little bit rushed. Now, because you overslept a little bit and you just have the word autonomous in your head crawling up the back of your brain. Uh, that's the worst. So what do you do? What what does it look like when, when Wayne wakes up a little bit late? Oh, he – one of the nice things about his job is that he has very little personal interaction. He is – jury rig things in such a way that he doesn't have to talk to people very much at all if he doesn't feel like it. So he feels very little compunction about skipping all the little niceties of civilization. Today, he is not going to brush his teeth. Today, he's not going to hop in the shower. He's not going to change his underwear. He doesn't need to do any of that. Who's he dressing up for? The wife? Yeah. Eh. So the, the, the deal there is, so he works kind of a weird shift, we'll say. He works from like 7 p.m. until about 5 a.m. And it's a long commute. Uh, he has to take a train to get there. So it's about an hour each way. If he gets up at 5, you know, that's enough time for him to eat and kind of get himself in order. But he's, he's choosing to – maybe you or I would have uh, made different choices and brushed our teeth and, and showered and so forth. He is instead going to spend it, you know, looking at racing forms and uh, checking up on sports scores and doing things mm. that most people would consider optional. But no, he's he's going to make time for that. Yeah, I mean, he's got to find a way to get out of uh, yeah, out of debt with Pete. Yeah, he figures he's got like one shot left where you know he can say double or nothing for something. So he's got to come up with a sure thing, and uh, he hasn't found it yet, but he will. He has no doubt in his mind that he will. It'll it'll show itself. It always does. It always does. It always does. Yeah. So yeah, Wayne brushes up on his sports scores, eats eats a very quick dinner, mm-hmm. uh, and starts rushing to the train. How close is the train station? Not not especially close. I think he has to hoof it. Okay. So yeah, you're you're hoofing it 
down the street. Is it is your house is your apartment in the city as well or Yeah, like um so in order to get like basically an apartment that like would you know fit him and three other people and allow him to have his own tiny bedroom, he had to make some trade-offs. And yeah, he lives in the city but it's not a good part of the city. And he has to get downtown to a good part of the city for his job. And they never make it easy. There's always like a train oh, to a bus. Yeah. Actually, I, I don't think in this case there is a, a bus to a train. I think he has to like actually get like hoof- the, there are no buses in this part of town. You you have to run to the train. Okay. So it's a it's a good, you know, maybe 15 minute hike to the train station. Yeah. And it's maybe about halfway through. Mm-hmm. There's just this feeling like maybe it might not be as severe as you're being followed. Mm-hmm. But you're almost certain you're being watched. Ooh. Okay. How how does that manifest? Like is that like a tingly sensation on the back of my neck or Yeah, I think it's like you you are in such a rush that like maybe this has been happening since you left the apartment. But, like, you're now just noticing it that there's just this, like, kind of shiver down your back. Mm -hmm. That's like someone is looking at you intently. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, I think think his natural response to this is, I think he's going to try to put a little distance between himself and, and somebody. You know, and it's one of those things where, um, okay, let's say the station is, you know, four blocks up and one block over. Well, he's going to go one block over and four blocks up. You know, he'll switch up his route. And instead of waiting for the little flashy walk guy, he's going to chance it a little bit and do some jaywalking on his way, on his way to the train. Wayne is not really good at measuring time. Like a lot of liars, he's an optimist. And when he thinks to himself, oh, yeah, I have to be somewhere at seven, he thinks about how long it'll take to get there under the best conditions, not under what he'll actually face. <laughs> and uh, so so he's he doesn't have a lot of time to uh, spare anyway, and this is just one more thing making him hurry uh, a little more than he, he normally would. All right. So I'm going to have you roll here. Yeah. So you're going to get one die. Okay. Uh, If you want to push yourself, this is a tense situation, so you could push yourself, which would add some anxiety. Yeah, I think think in this situation he would. Okay. Yeah. So that'll give you an extra die. You can work in your scar if you want. This feels a little early for that, but... Yeah, no, no. Okay. So yeah, that's going to give you two dice. Oh, that doesn't. I know that sounds well. Oh yeah, no, it's a one and a three. All right. Well, let's resolve the anxiety first. So roll one of those dice. Okay. And you're going to divide it in half, and that's how much your anxiety goes up. Okay, I got a six on that one. Oh, that's that's nice of the die. Yeah. So you gain three anxiety. Uh huh. All right. So you get to make a choice here. Ooh. Okay. You either. Suffer a severe consequence, uh huh, or your despair track goes up by one. 
I feel like Wayne would never willingly suffer a consequence. So I think I think it has to be despair. All right. So Wayne forgets that old adage: "Look both ways before you cross the street." Mm-hmm. Because you you know you're pushing yourself, you're being potentially pursued, and so you run across the street, and there's the briefest of moments where you are certain you're going to get hit by a car. Mm-hmm. The car slams on its brakes and begins honking wildly and stops just before it careens into you. Mm-hmm. And you manage to get across the street, kind of looking around wildly now to see like who is following me. Mm-hmm. Not realizing that the, the person that was watching you was actually across the street the whole time. Yeah. And I think I think while he's looking around wildly, he's doing this weird thing where he's screaming at the guy who almost killed him, you know, because clearly he should have been watching where he's going, but he's not actually looking at the person he's screaming at. And it makes him look thoroughly unhinged. Like the man in the car is not entirely sure if he's being yelled at or not, or if this guy has lost his, his uh, grip on reality entirely. Yeah, I think after a moment or two, the guy actually stops honk- honking because he's like, oh, I don't know. That's, that's something, that's a mess I don't need to get myself wrapped up in and just continues on his way. Mm-hmm. And so Wayne gets across the street. And what is what is the name of Pete's enforcer? Oh, I think his name is Lucky. That's a good, the good enforcer name. You don't. I mean, you don't. You've met Lucky a number mm-hmm. of times. The, the amount of time you've spent at the shop, mm-hmm. and the amount of visits you've had to have recently, like you know Lucky pretty well. And like you f- finish running across the street, and you like stop yelling, and take a couple breaths, and start to try and calm yourself down. And you see Lucky just standing like leaning against the corner of the building, smoking a cigarette. Mm -hmm. And I think Wayne immediately tries to act like nothing has happened. Like, oh, hey, I didn't see you there. How's it going? Hey, hey, Wayne. Hey, fancy running to you, buddy. What you up to? Oh, I was just out, out for a stroll. It's a nice day, isn't it? It is, it is. You get the game last night? I did. Uh, Yeah, yeah. Almost thought about putting in on that one, but... mm, that, that was not my night. That was not my night. It's coming, though. It's coming. I'm I'm sure it is, Wayne, but let, let's walk. I know you have to get to the train. Let's let's walk and talk. Let's, let's. So, uh, how's the family? Oh, numerous. Uh, have one kid. One kid is a blessing. Two kids, it's too many kids. I yeah, I think I'm I'm going the zero kids route, buddy. It seems I'm it seems like a lot of work. You are not wrong. You are not wrong. When you're right, you're right. In my line of business, it's like it's almost like I have a bunch of kids. And he pats you on the back. <sighs> Pete Pete asked me to come and ask you to uh to just pay him a visit. He misses you. Yeah. Yeah, that feels good. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying. I know you got to get to work. Yeah, 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 yeah. But maybe, maybe tomorrow. All right, just stop in. He what? He wary. Sure, 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 sure. 
You got it. You got it. Absolutely. All right, Wayne. You you have a good day, buddy. You send my uh, you send my love to the wife and the kids. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Doris asks about you all the time. And uh, he pats you on the back again, and then kind of speeds up and briskly starts walking. Like it's the awkward thing of like he said goodbye, but then realized that he's going in the same direction yeah. you are. And so now he has to like speed up a little bit just to make sure that he's walking faster than you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think there is that moment where I've known this moment many times as a mass transit mm-hmm. person. You are getting close to the train station and you can see the train station mm-hmm. and you can see the train that you are planning on catching. Mm-hmm. Pulling out of the station. So we're, uh, we're going to have to run for it? If you want to try to run for it, you might be able to get there. All right. Well, let's uh, let's give that a shot. All right. Uh, so you get one die. All right. You can push yourself if you want. No, I think he's probably feeling weirdly relaxed after that. Because in his mind... It was a good, it was a good interaction. And everything he said there was a lie, incidentally. <laughs> and he feels like he got away with something that always makes him feel warm and fuzzy inside. So yeah, we'll just we'll just roll the one die, and that is that is a three. All right, all right. So I get a point of dread, but yeah. So nothing, nothing, nothing terrible happened. But you do you run to see if maybe, just maybe, you can get on the train before it pulls out of the station. Mm-hmm. But you do not. Ah. And it is traveling on its merry way without you. Mm-hmm. And all hope's not lost. Like, it's mass transit in the city. Another train's going to come. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's not. You're going to be late. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's actually probably fairly common for Wayne. I can see that. Yeah. And it's mass transit is such an easy thing to blame. Oh, yeah. And no one's ever going to ask questions because everyone knows how terrible it is. Yeah. Yeah, no, it is. It absolutely is. That stupid conductor could have stopped. He saw you running. He could have stopped. Yeah, they're all jerks. So what, uh, what, when this happens, sounds like this happens fairly regularly. Mm-hmm. What do you, do? You, well, I, I guess the first question, do you notify work that oh, you're going to be late? No, 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 no. So- First of all, he's not going to be late. He'll he'll be just exactly on time in his mind. You know, no, no, no. It takes it takes forty eight minutes to get downtown. I have to be at work at fifty nine, and I'll just I'll make the whole distance from the station to the building in one minute. It's no big deal. Yeah, and if I am late, what? I, I'll stop and talk to Dor- uh, Doreen on the way in, and I'll you know I'll say hi to the receptionists. And then, you know, they're going to be on their way out. They're not going to be that, that upset. And, you know, I'll, I'll relieve the other guys who are coming off shift. And yeah, it's, it's no big deal, you know. And I'm trying to think if this is a good moment to sort of reveal one of the scars that I'd sort of thought of for, uh, for, for Wayne or not. We can, we can hold it or. Uh... Yeah, that is. A, so one of the things that you can do when you reveal a scar is introduce a person or an element to the story. Mm hmm. So what would happen is your anxiety goes up by two because you're reveling in uh, okay the horror. But then you get to do a flashback and also add 
like a very concrete thing to the story. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So this might be a good time, like while you're sitting there at the sta- station. Yeah. So Wayne is one of those guys who always has an angle. And he's got actually a pretty clever one going right now. See, he's got the overnight shift at this building. And it's it's a big building. It's like 16 floors. All different you know companies. And it's supposed to be him and this guy, Jimmy. But the thing is, he and Jimmy, they don't especially get along. And you don't really need two people to do this job. The reason there are two people is so you can rat on each other. And Wayne kind of thought about this and said, Jimmy, I got a proposition for you. You are not going to come on to work anymore. You're going to give me your card. And every day I'm going to badge you in and out. You're always going to be late, but that'll be okay. I'll always cover for you. You can work a normal job and get a paycheck and a half. And I'll work this job and I'll get a paycheck and a half. We'll split your money for a job you're not even going to do. And nobody will ever notice. You won't have to see my ugly face. Eh? That is a good angle. Yeah. And it means that he can get up to all kinds of weird shenanigans for his amusement at night. This building is his playground. And whenever he's doing something weird, he always makes sure that he uses Jimmy's badge to get in and out of that floor. But we don't need to mention that to Jimmy. Yeah, that's Yeah. And you know He's getting paid he's getting paid to not show yeah. up. Yeah. And on the security cameras, like they're they're super low res. You can't you can tell that there's a body walking around. You can't tell who that is, in a uniform anyway. They all, you know, he and Jimmy look totally the same. And they only keep them for a week before they erase them and do it again because they're cheap. So, yeah, no. If we ever got caught, at worst, I say, ah, Jimmy was sick. I was covering for him. They're never going to catch on. (laughs) And the beauty of it is, one of the many beauties, is that ah, Wayne always looks like he's the punctual one. Because that Jimmy, he's always going to be 15 minutes late. Ah, Isn't that a shame? But you know what? Wayne's a class act, and he always covers for him. He says, I don't mind, boss. I don't mind. Such a stand-up guy, that Wayne. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I like that. So what, as you're sitting there waiting for the next train to come, and you're thinking over this angle that you've got with Jimmy, mm-hmm. do you have any shenanigans planned for this evening? Well, uh, so Wayne is kind of a creature of impulse. And... He likes his dream, okay? The absolute, like, creme de la creme, the thing that he hopes someday happens, but let's be honest, it probably never will, is that he'll find something incriminating. That he, he loves going through other people's lives, going through their, their desks, uh, if they've got paper files going through them, maybe he'll find somebody cooking books. Uh, he doesn't look like the kind of guy who can read a spreadsheet, but Wayne can read a spreadsheet. He knows. He knows when people are uh, doing things they shouldn't be. He, you know, maybe he'll see uh, an item on somebody's desk calendar that uh, you know points to a mistress, something like that, where he can get one over on one of these uh, uh, you know white white shirt and uh, collar guys, and he can uh, he can maybe make a, a little bit of a. A little foray into blackmail, and maybe that makes some of his problems go away. And, hey, if it doesn't, he gets to look at these people's 
you know, sad little lives, make fun of their ugly kids, eat the candy that the receptionist has put out on the, uh, you know, the little aisle for everybody to take a piece as they go by, steal people's lunches. These are the things that warm his heart. Sounds like, uh, of all of the long line of jobs that Wayne has had, this might be the best. It's definitely up there. It's definitely up there. He's had a lot of jobs where he could get high and or drunk during uh, work, and this is less conducive to that. And you know, because you got to keep your edge on if you're if you're going to be getting up to stuff. But uh, it's not bad. It's not bad at all. And as Wayne watches the next train, we'll say it's. You know, this is a fairly busy time, so the trains probably run every, like, 20 minutes instead of every hour. Mm -hmm. And as the train pulls in, there's that itching at the back of your head again, like a sweater being slowly unraveled. Hmm. And you don't, you remember that there's... This guy Jimmy that you've got this grift going with, mm-hmm. but like you re- like you're trying to remember what Jimmy looks like, anything about him other than his name, and it's just it is all gone. <sighs> like in your brain, if your brain were say like a dictionary. Mm-hmm. The the entry for Jimmy is still there, but the picture has been cut out. Uh, well, that's concerning. Honestly, that probably bothers Wayne more than forgetting his brother's name, because he was never going to talk to that guy again anyway. Probably not, unless, you know, somebody died and they got the fight over the money. Yeah. But, but Jimmy and he have a thing going. They got to keep in contact. This is, no, this is not good. This is not good. Yeah, you if you are convinced in this moment that if you were in a room with Jimmy, you would not unless he introduced himself, you would not know who he was. Yeah, that 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 makes Wayne sweat a little bit. The train hisses to a halt. You are able to get on. You're only gonna be twenty minutes late, and like that's not you're not ever really late. And Jimmy's going to be 15 minutes later than that. Yeah. But the train's there for you. It is waiting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's let's get to work. All right. You hop on the train. It is, you know, probably a good 30, 40-minute train ride to this 16-story office building that uh, you, you watch over through the night. Mm-hmm. And you get there, uh, and you know there's about a five minute rush from the train station. That you know you're, it's, yeah. it's a minute. It's it's not five minutes. It's a minute. Mm-hmm. It's five minutes. But who's 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 counting? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and you find yourself uh, at work. Well, I uh, I make a I make a big show of actually. If I'm that late, maybe Doreen, the uh, receptionist, maybe she's not there. You know, maybe maybe she's already gone. Maybe I have to badge myself in. Yeah, I would imagine like if you're if you're getting in at yeah. you said, what seven normally. Yeah, and it's like seven twenty. Yeah, she's probably already gone because you know the the you know the businesses have all all uh, gone home for the day. Really, it's just going to be like the cleaning people for like another hour, and then me. 
And I think I think Wayne's like office, so to speak, like the security office, is actually in the basement or like the sub basement. Like there's a parking garage under the building, and at the bottom of the parking garage, that's where he goes. Okay. Yeah, I would imagine there's probably an elevator that takes yeah, you there. Like you yeah. need you need a key to yeah allow access to that floor, but you take the elevator down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's just like a big empty parking garage. So yeah, you step off the elevator, and normally, when you get here, mm-hmm. there are lights. There's not a lot of light, and this is an underground parking garage, so like, there's already a lack of light. But there's normally some of those like wall-mounted lights, and they seem to all be off. And so it is just this massive, cavernous darkness Ugh. that the door opens to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wayne has never liked this part of the job. Like this space gives him the willies a little bit, even even when everything's working perfectly fine. It is and like those kinds of spaces like at 2 p.m. are fine. Mm-hmm. But when it gets later and you're the only one there, yeah. It's hard not to be creeped out, even if you're a skeptic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is this is the kind of place where bad stuff happens. And Wayne has to be honest with himself. He is not the one doing the bad stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so there is, a, like, as you kind of look in this mass of darkness, mm-hmm. you do see, like, the door to the security room. There's, like, a little bit of light mm-hmm. coming out from, like, the bottom of the door. So you have a, a rough idea of where where you're headed. But it is dark. And, like, it's this huge, dark room, so, like, every step you take echoes from all around you as if you are being followed by five or six luckies. Ooh. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think Wayne's going to run, even though it doesn't really make sense for that distance, you know? Yeah. Like, like it's like running to the bathroom. It's very weird. And like, he's going to show up at the door out of breath and it's going to be strange, but he, he can't help himself. Yeah. So you, uh, you get to the door and no, no luckies jump out of the darkness to break your kneecaps yet. And you fumble for your keys and you get the, the door unlocked. Is there like another security guard that you relieve or? Yeah. Uh, so the guy, uh, the senior guy on the, the daytime shift is a guy named Dale. And Dale's an all right guy. He never asks too many questions because he's usually, you know, eager to get out of here. And, you know, he and uh, uh, Jimmy know each other and they uh, they go way back. Wayne doesn't know him that well, but uh, they, they, uh, they get along OK. All right. So, yeah, you throw the door open uh, and you see Dale sitting there. And I think Dale's Dale's probably getting to an age where he's pretty close to retirement. Yeah. His suit is, uh, he's lost a little bit of weight over the last year or two, and so his suit hangs a little loose. And you come come kind of rushing in, uh, and he looks up from kind of watching the cameras, and he looks at his watch, and he doesn't say anything other than, uh, hey, Wayne, I s- lights are out. <sighs> I delivered a baby. You're not going to believe this. This woman gave birth on the train. And I, I delivered a baby. I, I had to wait with her until the, the EMT showed up. She's going to name it after me. 
It's going to be a little Wayne Stephanopoulos out there. And I think, I think Dale just laughs. And he, he says, uh, I don't, I don't know what the world will do with another Wayne Stephanopoulos, but congratulations. If I had a cigar, I would give it to you. Hey, you're all right. I let maintenance know about the lights. They're going to try to get to it tonight, but if not, we might have another day or two of of darkness down here. He he's already like standing up, getting ready to leave. Eh, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. It's not your problem. It's not your problem, Dale. He uh he walks by uh, and he motions. And he's like, I uh I changed the batteries in the flashlight there. You're a good man. You'll probably want to carry it around with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're a gentleman and a scholar. You have a good night, Wayne. Mazel tov again. <laughs> Thanks, Dale. Thanks, Dale. All right. And uh, he leaves and shuts the door and leaves you to your post. Yeah. So I think he usually behaves himself for the first, like, hour. That he's on shift, you know, particularly on a day like this where he's going to be late, you know, he, he's going to make sure he does all the paperwork and uh, badge Jimmy in and out at the appropriate moment and check the cameras, make sure that, you know, there's nothing actually wrong before we start playing. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, you've got a, a, I'm imagining like a battery of like maybe five monitors, but there are for a 16 story building problem. Yeah. At least a hundred cameras. Yeah. So it's a lot of like flipping through mm-hmm. cameras and you're flipping through and everything seems you see, you know, cleaning staff, you see a couple, there's probably like one law office in this building. And so there are a couple people working late, but by like eight 30 or nine, they're, they're packing up and going home and you're flipping through the cameras and you're flipping through the cameras and you cut to one of the cameras of like the parking lot. Mm-hmm. And you see Pete <laughs> just standing there looking at the building. Thank you to Jesse Stanchek for joining me to play Quietus. Thank you to Ollie Jeffrey for designing such a cool game. And thank you to you for listening. If you like what you've heard so far, you can pick up Quietus on DriveThruRPG or at SinisterBeard.com. Also follow Jesse at MicroFlashFic for his really amazing daily stories. Our theme song is Everybody Knows My Name by Harley Poe. Thank you to Joe Whiteford for letting us use it. Join us on September 9th for part two of Quietus with Jesse Stanchek. Until then, remember that you are strong. You are beautiful. And you are not alone.
My name.